Well, happy Sunday to all of you out there and a happy post-COVID Light City Church presentation for this Sunday. I'm so glad that you're all here. So grateful that you would take a few moments of your day and a little bit of your time just to gather together to spend a few moments with God as we set our trajectory for this week. We set ourselves on course for a week of amazing, amazing things with God. And so I'm so grateful for your, that you are there. I'm so grateful for every single one of you that has gone all the way through this chaos of uh, COVID-19 and joined with us as we declare and we agree together, believing that there will be not one symptomatic among us as we go through all of this. And now as we set ourselves to rebuilding after all of this, as our, our, our governments on both sides are starting to open the doors and allow us to gather together again as a church, as a body of believers, cohesively moving forward in the plan of God for our lives. Let me tell you, we are set. Light City is set. We have got all kinds of great things coming at you over the next number of months as we determine to come back even stronger than we were before all of this started. So agree with that with us. <clears throat> you know, I've seen so many times in scriptures, one of my frustrations as a pastor has been that I've, I've seen so many of the promises of God that if activated would not only empower us to survive, but to thrive excessively on this planet. And one of the main reasons that I have seen that causes people to lower the trajectory of their lives, to live below or perhaps without these many promises, uh, is a fear or an uncertainty about what tomorrow will bring. You'll see this uncertainty or this insecurity uh, when you're timid or you hesitate or perhaps you procrastinate, you miss opportunities, you shy away from challengers or duck the difficult parts. And after a while, you just find yourself living with a lowered trajectory, a slower pace, accepting that to be your lot in life. And certainly, it's perfectly fine for you to choose the boundaries of your life and uh, choose the risk level, pick the pace that is good for you, but only if it's what you really want and not as a response to a fear or an uncertainty or an insecurity about what's going to happen tomorrow. You know, I've noticed that many people have unknowingly lowered the expectation of their life ever so slowly all because of an uncertainty about what tomorrow will hold and how they are going to bear up under whatever comes. I've even noticed that when people enter the kingdom, uh, they certainly get a bump, an accelerated first season. But strangely, things start to taper off in most Christians' lives also. Most Christians are comfortable with the Jesus that existed uh, yesterday. Oh, we know that Jesus was a real person, that he was the son of God, that he was manifested here on earth to restore us to our father, to teach us about the kingdom of heaven, and then to pay the ultimate price for us to enter it. Perhaps you can even point to a blessing or a miracle you received in the past. Jesus's active engagement in your personal life. The Jesus of the past has done some amazing things for us. And you know, there's a whole bunch of us that have a real life relationship with the Jesus of today, the active engagement of a living Christ. 
And as you consider your confidence to face today with all its ups and downs, knowing that Jesus is always with you, that he's just a whisper away, just a prayer's distance at any moment. If you can still remember what it felt like before you knew him, if you can measure the difference between then and now, no doubt the Jesus of today is a life-enriching reality. But how many of us are brimming with excitement about the Jesus who has tomorrow firmly in his grasp? That just as there is no reason for us to fear anything today has to offer, we can have even greater confidence in his active engagement in all of our tomorrows. Uh, what if there was a certainty for tomorrow? Uh, security that no matter what came your way, that you would be the overcomer, that you would be victorious, that tomorrow will be your day. What if there is a way to translate that, that certainty, that, that security, into a confidence of life-transforming action today? Do you wonder what your today would be like if you lived free from the dark clouds of uncertainty and insecurity? Can you imagine what effect that sense of certainty, that sense of security would have on your tomorrows? If you're buying into any of this, then you're in the right place. We're going to unpack some of this today. We're going to be amazed by how much the Bible has to say about this very thing. How the New Testament's promise of victory and overcoming in our lives hinges on this understanding that Jesus has your tomorrow, my tomorrow, firmly under control. And he can't wait for us to get there. Let's build some backstory as we try to put ourselves in the real time of some of the events that have shaped our perspective of the future as human beings. We always have to go back, right back to the beginning of our history to see how things could possibly have gotten so far off track. We are all familiar with how far things can get off time to get off track when there's even a slight error up front. Remember last week we talked about the Garden of Eden and how we started out in a totally synchronized place with God and heaven and man and earth. And then, you know, that apple thing happened and all the chaos started. <clears throat> An impassable chasm was created between the two dimensions, like a two-way mirror was placed between us. God could see here, but we couldn't see there. God couldn't come here, and we couldn't go there. Put yourself in Adam and Eve's today. Their father was just here a moment ago, and now he's gone. You know, Adam lived 930 years, and God never came back. From Adam and Eve's perspective, God wasn't in their tomorrows. He had abandoned them. But was that really true? Were they really forsaken? Had God found some new friends? 
Or was God actively engaged in restoring humans to their rightful place? Was he actively working in all of their tomorrows to unscramble the egg? You know, we get an amazing glimpse of this right off in the middle of this biblical account of the apple thing. You know, if you take a look in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 6, we have the account of Adam and Eve as they're eating the forbidden fruit. And then the shame and you know, the fear and all the chaos quickly settled in. But there's not even nine verses before God unfolds his plan to rescue them, to put Humpty Dumpty back together again. God spoke to the serpent, telling him that there was one coming, the seed of a woman who would bruise the serpent's head with his heel. God was already in their tomorrows, working everything out. You know, there were a lot of things to get in place for this to happen, but God was already creating a pathway, a pathway through this guy, <clears throat> Abraham, to get this other guy, Moses, to ghostwrite a book for him. In it, he told his readers how to thrive with their relationship with him, with each other, and in every possible way while they were here on earth. He gave them innumerable promises. You do this today, God speaking, and I'll do this tomorrow. Actively engaged in their future. And sprinkled throughout this God-inspired book were prophecies, facts, and details of the future. Revealed hundreds, even thousands of years in advance. God was so firmly in control of the future that he told folks about it way in advance. God was saying, hey guys, relax, I got this. And so if you're like me, you're asking why it took God so long. Well, this is where it gets complicated. When it came to getting anything done here on earth, remember that God couldn't come here and do it himself. He needed the cooperation from a human. And boy, did it get messy for a while as God and humans tried to figure stuff out. You know, we have all kinds of evidence that ancient cultures could sense that there was a God. In fact, a religious center exists in every ancient culture we have ever unearthed. They all knew someone was out there. They just didn't know how to connect with him or, or her or, or it. You know, these religions created tyrannical societies. Ones they said were centered around God. And so there was no argument. There was, was no escape. And nonconformity was a death sentence. Rebellion uh, was a crime. Dissenting voices were brutally silenced. And the value of the individual was diminished to empower those at the top of the religious pyramid. These systems and structures still exist today. But it was like God spoke Mandarin and we spoke French. And the result was a top-down religious tyrannies that were oppressive and cruel and unimaginably dark. But God was at work. Uh, he had a plan. He was working his plan. You can read this story in, the, the detail, in detail in the second half of the book of uh, Genesis. God had found a man 
Abraham, who would obey God rather than asking God to obey him. This man raised up a family, Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, who eventually became the Israelite nation. This family moved to the Egyptian Delta, the New York City of that day, because God was looking to write a book and he needs someone, he needed someone who could write. And through a series of events, a child, Moses, born to Israelite slaves, wound up adopted as the son of Pharaoh's sister. Moses learned to read and write in a world where no one knew how to do that. God had been at work all along. When chaos and tyranny ruled the affairs of men, God was moving pieces around the chessboard to checkmate Pharaoh, to launch a people who had access to the truth, they had the book. And we even saw earlier that lies about God in earlier religions, treated like they were true, built cruel and dark tyrannies, run by the keepers or the guardians of their religious rules. And we soon discovered, though, that the truth from God, the actual truth, dictated to Moses and written in a book, <laughs> also created a, a religious tyranny. Certainly it was not as cruel and dark, but if you read a little bit of the Old Testament, it really wasn't a shining city on a hill either. Oh, yes, they had light. Yes, they had the truth. Yes, it came from a loving and long-suffering God, but it was interpreted by humans who had lived in dark and oppressive tyrannies, whose concept of God was all-powerful but angry. And that was all they knew. Their hearts were still dark and confused. But just like at the beginning, God was still in their tomorrows. He still had a plan and he was working his plan. He was searching the world over to find men and women who would do or, or, or say what he needed. You see, in the background, God was slowly but surely putting all the puzzle pieces together, building their tomorrows. Let me take a moment here to repeat something that is crucial to each of us understanding what was actually going on. God had delivered the truth in written form, but it had created a theocratic tyranny with those in charge fully authorized by their interpretation of God's holy book. You see, truth by itself always creates a tyranny. You know, those who understand the rules and laws around money create a financial tyranny. Those who understand how the internet really works creates a, a technological tyranny. Those who understand how politics works create a political tyranny. And those who know how to bake delicious desserts hold us all in their merciless, tyrannical grip. And this is why the story of God's redemption didn't end with Moses or the prophets or the kings. No matter how wise they were or how close to God's heart they lived, God wasn't done. You see, truth by itself wasn't enough to fix the problem. Or like Paul wrote in the seventh chapter of Romans, that which was ultimate good 
had become death to me. How can this be? You see, truth creates a top-down structure, a structure that serves those at the top of the organization at the expense of diminishing those at the bottom. We see this everywhere in our world today, the many serving the few, the common slaves to the elite, the poor servants to the rich, the uneducated serfs to the educated. Truth creates a pyramidic structure that looks like this. But you see, God was not done. He was still in their tomorrows, shaping the history of mankind from the future. Have you ever wondered what God is saying about our distant future today? You know, he gives us a beautiful glimpse in the book of Ephesians in chapter 2 there, and you'll find it tucked away so neatly into verse 7 that you could easily miss it. You know, it says that in the ages to come, uh, that is talking about eons is the word that it uses, eons into the future, maybe millions or perhaps even billions of years from now, God will be boasting about the exceeding riches of his grace displayed in his kindness towards us who are in Christ. God won't be celebrating the accuracy of his truth, the power of his principles, the wonder of his words. All eyes will be on his amazing grace that the God of all universes expressed towards fallen and failing and faulty humans, people like me and you. This word grace means undeserved favor or maybe unearned privilege. It was the special advantage we get, not because we follow the rules perfectly, but because of our relationship with God. You see, God has always been in our tomorrows. He's always been using whatever or whoever he can find to get us closer to his plan for each of us, closer with each of our families, each of our churches, and each of our communities. You know, God wasn't writing a book so he could create a tyranny. <clears throat> God wrote a book so he could create a man, a man who was full of grace and truth. You know, we already had the truth. It was that truth that became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And so it was the grace part that God had been working on all along. You know, I shared a moment ago that truth by its very nature creates a tyranny because it creates a top-down structure. It abandons the weak. It rejects the foolish. It humiliates the poor. It gives advantage to the advantaged and it diminishes the diminished. But let me say now that grace creates a bottom-up structure. It empowers the fallen. It it strengthens the weak. It gives wisdom to the foolish, riches to the poor, health to the sick, even life to the dead. It's not that we abandon the truth we have received. <laughs> okay. uh, you cannot live in a physical world without rules and laws. Heck, you can't even survive without a basic understanding of the law of physics, of health, of economy, of highway safety. You can't live in a world with more than one human in it without relationship rules and norms. 
or in an economic world without some understanding of wealth and money. You certainly cannot thrive in God's creation without an understanding of how the whole thing works. You know, we can all see that the more we know about the laws and rules, the greater our chances of success. So I am not saying, as many do, that the answer is to throw out all the laws and rules. You know, anarchy creates the worst kind of chaos, the most depravity. It's the strongest survive uh, way of life on high volume. It promotes the psychopaths into the highest ranks. You know, the plan God was working out and can I, not, can I, uh, and can I say is still working on in our tomorrows is a pyramidic structure that looks like this, a structure that promotes the weak. It makes them strong, that gives vision and creativity to the poor and makes them rich. It gives wisdom and understanding to the foolish and makes them the wisest of all. All this is accessed in the kingdom of heaven, accessed through Jesus Christ, who dwells among us, full of grace and truth. You see, throughout human history, God has always been in tomorrow, building us a bridge back to him. And Jesus was that bridge. You know, last week we talked about that bridge and how we, through Jesus, now have a 100% perfect relationship with our Heavenly Father and, and that this relationship gives us unlimited access to undeserved favor and, and privilege. God will help us thrive just because He loves us. <clears throat> so you may be saying, all this sounds wonderful and is super inspirational, but really, how do I get this to work in my real life? You know, well, that scripture in the beginning of Romans chapter 5, where Paul talks about our peace with God and the undeserved privilege we get because of that peace. You know, it also lays out how to get it to work in our lives. You know, it's only a slight adjustment, <clears throat> but it's one of the most important understandings in the kingdom of God and super easy to understand. You know, Paul tells us it's all about hope. And so that we are all on the same page, let's work with a simple definition of what hope actually is. Hope is my real expectation of what my future is going to be. It's my prediction of the future. Hope all goes all the way from 100% negative prediction or dread all the way along that continuum to 100% positive expectation uh, or hope. In Romans chapter 5, Paul also explains where we got that level of hope that we now have, whatever level you're at. We experience pressure, problems, persecution in the past, and we try our best to overcome them. And when we see how it all turned out, then we use that information to predict how similar situations are going to turn out in our future. This prediction is our hope. Yeah, and here's the crazy part, uh, the awesome part or crazy part. I think I'm watching too much Blippi with my grandchildren. 
The Bible tells us that the way faith works, this overcoming everything in this natural world, every problem and every challenge, every limitation and every boundary, this supernatural power that, that overcomes the world, it uses our hope to determine what to build in all of our tomorrows. Okay, a good time to summarize. I'm using all of my successes and failures, all the experiences of my past to make a prediction about my future. And then God's supernatural undeserved favor and privilege takes that picture, that prediction, and uses it as a blueprint to build my tomorrows. <laughs> yep, that's how it works. And maybe there are some of you that that's not so great news. Maybe there are patterns of failure and defeat in your life, perhaps some boundaries or, or maybe even some limitations that you just haven't been able to overcome. If this, sound, if this hope thing makes it feel like you're stuck and then there's nothing you can do about it, well, consider this. In Romans chapter 4, we hear a retelling of the story of Abraham and his journey with his barren wife, Sarah, as they believe God for a child. Abraham was 75 years old, and no matter how hard they had tried to overcome that limitation, all they had experienced was failure and defeat. They were O and 10,000. Definitely a hope problem. Okay, spoiler alert. They do have a child. And that child does grow up to birth a nation. And so there's hope for us all. So let me close today with a simple mental exercise that we each need to do to copy the blueprint that Abraham gave us when we're trying to overcome our natural hope and replace it with a supernatural hope, a new hope with a new prediction that will give us a new life, a life full of the promises of God in every area of our lives and a blessing-filled inheritance to all of our children. This is what Abraham did in his mind. He used his imagination to create an inner picture of what the tomorrow he wanted. Anytime he closed his eyes and he saw his defeated yesterday, he played a game with himself in his imagination. Uh, he just stopped considering all the reasons why he couldn't succeed. You know, he was old. Well, don't worry about that. Oh, well, Sarah was old too. Well, don't worry about that either. And then he just stopped thinking about how outrageous God's promises were. It simply didn't matter if he did everything right or not or if the promises were way beyond what he thought he deserved. He just imagined God giving them to him. He just stopped second-guessing what God would do for him. And then he just started imagining what it would be like to have a child, playing with him, feeding him, changing his poopy diapies. He could even see how happy Sarah was. And the Bible tells us he could even imagine what it would be like when his great, 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 great grandson, Jesus, finally arrived on the planet. And even what your life, my life, would be like because of his and Sarah's miracle child. Abraham did that simple exercise so many times that after a while, it seemed to him 
that it was already real. He had become fully persuaded that something that didn't exist today was going to exist tomorrow. He knew God was in his tomorrows bringing his hope into real life. He was so convinced by this simple exercise that long before he and Sarah even conceived, he had changed his name to a father of multitude. He started handing out cigars, boasting about his baby, telling everyone about the millions of people who would soon call him their father. I don't know, the flip side of this coin is the understanding, the dread, that negative side of hope, that expectation that everything was going to go wrong, that more of the failures and defeats of yesterday await in our tomorrows, that this dread is like kryptonite to our superfather. God could do nothing to bring his promise to pass in Abraham's life if Abraham would not first turn his dread into hope. You see, this is what God has been working on for thousands of years. He has always been in our future, working to restore us to the fullness of our destiny. It's not a hope that I can get strong enough or that I can get rich enough or popular enough or, or talented enough or famous enough, powerful enough to thrive. It's a hope that I don't have to. It's a hope built around the undeserved privilege that has been given to me through Jesus as he restored me to my rightful relationship with my heavenly father, God. Our father is on my side. He's the guy with all the power and the ability, all the wisdom and understanding, all the strength and energy. And he's making all that available to me, free of charge, just because he loves me. Oh, that's what fathers do. That's their job. And he's more than glad to do it. Now let that percolate in your mind and imagination. Mull it over and over and over again. God was always in our tomorrows. And he's in your tomorrow right now. He's busy creating the life you really expect. So pull out all the stops. Let your imagination run free. Grab one of the amazing promises of God and imagine what that would look like in your life, in your family, in your church, in your community. Think about the history of humanity and how it will be changed by the new life God is building in your future. I mean, sure, you can spend your time thinking about our post-corona catastrophe, you know, the, the world after the riots, after the nuclear bombs, after the locusts, after any of the apocalyptic scenarios. Or you can start imagining how the God of all the universes is waiting in your future, ready to unleash his awesome cosmic power to build you the life you've always wanted. All he needs is a little hope. So go ahead, hope. Before I go, let me pray for you. I'm reminded of a prayer that the Apostle Paul prayed for the church in Rome after explaining all this stuff to them. You can find this prayer in, in the book of Romans, uh, chapter 15 and verse 13, and he says this. He prayed that the God of hope 
would fill them with joy and peace in believing and that they would abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Wow, could he ever pack a ton of supernatural firepower into one sentence? So why don't you put your hand over your heart and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God of hope, grant to each of us joy and peace as we begin our journey into really believing, as we learn to turn our dreads into hope, as we consider not all the reasons why we should fail again and again. Help us to mix your grace, your partnership, your promises into our expectation, transforming it from humiliating failure into spectacular success. Father, help me to understand your heart toward me and your willingness to fulfill all the promises you have given me. Help me to overcome all the bad training, bad perspectives I have had about you and your love for me. And finally, Father, may your Holy Spirit bring me to real hope and a fully persuaded expectation, a red-hot prediction that my future is already filled with an abundance of everything Father has freely given me. Jesus, I know this is why you came, why you died for me, to restore me to my Father so that he can invade my home and that my prediction of my future can be restored and my destiny regained. I receive you into my life. From this moment forward, Jesus, you're the boss. And from now on, I'm doing things your way. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm so glad that you joined me for this today. I'm so excited about this message. I'm so excited about this reality becoming part of your reality as we unpack this beautiful mechanism that God has given every single human being in their ability to hope again, to transform their expectation of their future and give God everything he needs to transform the rest of your real life. God bless you as you spend this time. God bless you as you're together. God bless you in your families. And we'll see you next time.